Section 35 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 2. The Odyssey. Episode 14. Oxen of the Sun. Part 3. By this time the father of the faithful, for so they called him, was grown so heavy that he could scarce walk to pasture. To remedy which our cozening dames and damsels brought him his fodder in their apron laps, and as soon as his belly was full he would rear up on his hind quarters to show their ladyships a mystery, and roar and bellow out of him in bull's language, and they all after him. Ay, says another, and so pampered was he that he would suffer naught to grow in all the land but green grass for himself for that was the only color to his mind, and there was a board put up on a hillock in the middle of the island with a printed notice, saying, By the Lord Harry, green is the grass that grows on the ground. And, says Mr. Dixon, if ever he got scent of a cattle raider in Roscommon or the wilds of Connemara, or a husbandman in Sligo that was sowing as much as a handful of mustard or a bag of rapeseed, out he'd run amuck over half the countryside, rooting up with his horns whatever was planted, and all by Lord Harry's orders. There was bad blood between them at first, says Mr. Vincent, and the Lord Harry called Farmer Nicholas, all the old Nicks in the world, and an old whore-master that kept seven trolls in his house, and I'll meddle in his matters, says he. I'll make that animal smell hell, says he, with the help of that good pizzle my father left me. But one evening, says Mr. Dixon, when the Lord Harry was cleaning his royal pelt to go to dinner after winning a boat race, he had spade oars for himself, but the first rule of the course was that the others were to row with pitchforks. He discovered in himself a wonderful likeness to a bull, and on picking up a black-thumbed chapbook that he kept in the pantry, he found sure enough that he was a left-handed descendant of the famous champion Bull of the Romans, Boss Bovum, which is good bog Latin for boss of the show. After that, says Mr. Vincent, the Lord Harry put his head into a cow's drinking trough in the presence of all his courtiers, and pulling it out again told them all his new name. Then with the water running off him he got into an old smock and skirt that had belonged to his grandmother, and bought a grammar of the bull's language to study, but he could never learn a word of it except the first personal pronoun which he copied out big and got off by heart, and if ever he went out for a walk he filled his pockets with chalk to write it upon what took his fancy, the side of a rock or a tea-house table or a bale of cotton or a cork float. In short, he and the bull of Ireland were soon as fast friends as an arse and a shirt. They were, says Mr. Stephen, and the end was that the men of the island, seeing no help was toward, as the ungreat women were all of one mind, made a wary raft, loaded themselves in their bundles of chattels on shipboard, set all masts erect, manned the yards, sprang their luff, heaved to, spread three sheets in the wind, put her head between wind and water, weighed anchor, ported her helm, ran up the Jolly Roger, gave three times three, let the bull-gin run, pushed off in their bumboat, and put to sea to recover the main of America, which was the occasion, says Mr. Vincent, of the composing by a boatswain of that rollicking chanty, Pope Peter's but a piss-a-bed, a man's a man for all that. Our worthy acquaintance Mr. Malachi Mulligan now appeared in the doorway as the students were finishing their apologue, accompanied with a friend whom he had just re-encountered a young gentleman, his name Alec Bannon, who had late come to town, it being his intention to buy a colour or a cornetcy in the fencibles and list for the wars. 
Mr. Mulligan was civil enough to express some relish of it, all the more as it jumped with a project of his own for the cure of the very evil that had been touched on. Whereat he handed round to the company a set of pasteboard cards which he had had printed that day at Mr. Quinnell's, bearing a legend printed in fair italics, Mr. Malachi Mulligan, Fertilizer and Incubator. Lambay Island. His project, as he went on to expound, was to withdraw from the round of idle pleasures such as form the chief business of Sir Fopping Popinjay and Sir Milksop Quignunk in town, and to devote himself to the noblest task for which our bodily organism has been framed. "'Well, let us hear of it, good my friend,' said Mr. Dixon. "'I make no doubt it smacks of wenching. "'Come, be seated, both. "'Tis as cheap sitting as standing.' Mr. Mulligan accepted of the invitation, and, expatiating upon his design, told his hearers that he had been led into this thought by a consideration of the causes of sterility, both the inhibitory and the prohibitory, whether the inhibition in its turn were due to conjugal vexations or to a parsimony of the balance, as well as whether the prohibition proceeded from defects congenital or from proclivities acquired. It grieved him plaguily, he said, to see the nuptial couch defrauded of its dearest pledges and to reflect upon so many agreeable females with rich jointures, a prey to the vilest bonzes, who hide their flambeau under a bushel in an uncongenial cloister, or lose their womenly bloom in the embraces of some unaccountable muskin, when they might multiply the inlets of happiness, sacrificing the inestimable jewel of their sex, when a hundred pretty fellows were at hand to caress. This, he assured them, made his heart weep. To curb this inconvenient, which he concluded due to a suppression of latent heat, having advised with certain counsellors of worth and inspected into this matter, he had resolved to purchase in fee simple forever the freehold of Lambay Island from its holder, Lord Talbot de Malahide, a Tory gentleman of note much in favour with our ascendancy party. He proposed to set up there a national fertilising farm to be named Omphalos, with an obelisk hewn and erected after the fashion of Egypt, and to hold his dutiful yeoman services for the fecundation of any female of what grade of life soever who should there direct to him with the desire of fulfilling the functions of her natural. Money was no object, he said, nor would he take a penny for his pains. The poorest kitchen wench, no less than the opulent lady of fashion, if so be their constructions and their tempers, were warm persuaders for their petitions would find in him their man. For his nutriment he shewed how he would feed himself exclusively upon a diet of savory tubercles and fish and conies there, the flesh of these latter prolific rodents being highly recommended for his purpose, both broiled and stewed with a blade of mace and a pot or two of capsicum chilies. After this homily, which he delivered with much warmth of asseveration, Mr. Mulligan in a trice put off from his hat a kerchief with which he had shielded it. They both, it seems, had been overtaken by the rain, and for all their mending their pace had taken water, as might be observed by Mr. Mulligan's small clothes of a hodden grey, which was now somewhat piebald. His project, meanwhile, was very favourably entertained by his auditors, and won hearty eulogies from all, though Mr. Dixon of Mary's accepted to it, asking, with a finicking air, did he propose also to carry coals to Newcastle. Mr. Mulligan, however, made court to the scholarly by an apt quotation from the classics, which, as it dwelt upon his memory, seemed to him a sound and tasteful support of his contention. Talis octanta depravatio hujus seculae o quirites, ut 
matres familiarum nostre lascivas cujus libet semiviri libici titillationes testibus ponderosis atque excelsis erectionibus centurionum romanorum magnopere ente ponunt while for those of ruder wit he drove home his point by analogies of the animal kingdom more suitable to their stomach the buck and doe of the forest glade the farmyard drake and duck valuing himself not a little upon his elegance being indeed a proper man of person this talkative now applied himself to his dress with animadversions of some heat upon the sudden whimsy of the atmospherics while the company lavished their encomiums upon the project he had advanced the young gentleman his friend overjoyed as he was at a passage that had late befallen him could not forbear to tell it his nearest neighbor mr mulligan now perceiving the table asked for whom were those loaves and fishes and seeing the stranger he made him a civil bow and said pray sir was you in need of any professional assistance we could give who upon his offer thanked him very heartily though preserving his proper distance and replied that he was come there about a lady now an inmate of horn's house that was in an interesting condition poor body from women's woe and here he fetched a deep sigh to know if her happiness had yet taken place mr dixon to turn the table took on to ask of mr mulligan himself whether his incipient ventripotence upon which he rallied him betokened an ovoblastic gestation in the prostatic utricle or male womb or was due as with the noted physician mr austin meldon to a wolf in the stomach for answer mr mulligan in a gale of laughter at his smalls smote himself bravely below the diaphragm exclaiming with an admirable droll mimic of mother grogan the most excellent creature of her sex though tis pity she's a trollop there's a belly that never bore a bastard this was so happy a conceit that it renewed the storm of mirth and threw the whole room into the most violent agitations of delight the spry rattle had run on in the same vein of mimicry but for some larum in the antechamber here the listener who was none other than the scotch student a little fume of a fellow blonde as tow congratulated in the liveliest fashion with the young gentleman and interrupting the narrative at a salient point having desired his vis-a-vis -vis with a polite beck to have the obligingness to pass him a flagon of cordial waters at the same time by a questioning poise of the head a whole century of polite breeding had not achieved so nice a gesture to which was united an equivalent but contrary balance of the bottle asked the narrator as plainly as was ever done in words if he might treat him with a cup of it mais bien sûr noble stranger said he cheerily et mi compliment that you may end very opportunely there wanted nothing but this cup to crown my felicity but gracious heaven was i left with but a crust in my wallet and a cupful of water from the well my god i would accept of them and find it in my heart to kneel down upon the ground and give thanks to the powers above for the happiness vouchsafed me by the giver of good things with these words he approached the goblet to his lips took a complacent draught of the cordial slicked his hair and opening his bosom out popped a locket that hung from a silk riband that very picture which he had cherished ever since her hand had wrote therein gazing upon those features with a world of tenderness ah monsieur he said had you but beheld her as i did with these eyes at that affecting instant with her dainty tucker and her new coquette cap a gift for her feast day as she told me prettily in such an artless disorder of so melting a tenderness upon my conscience even you monsieur had been impelled 
by generous nature to deliver yourself wholly into the hands of such an enemy, or to quit the field forever. I declare I was never so touched in all my life. God, I thank thee as the author of my days. Thrice happy will he be, whom so amiable a creature will bless with her favors. A sigh of affection gave eloquence to these words, and, having replaced the locket in his bosom, he wiped his eye and sighed again. Beneficent disseminator of blessings to all thy creatures, how great and universal must be that sweetest of thy tyrannies which can hold and thrall the free and the bond, the simple swain and the polished coxcomb, the lover in the heyday of reckless passion, and the husband of maturer years. But indeed, sir, I wander from the point. How mingled and imperfect are all our sublunary joys. Maledicity, he exclaimed in anguish, would to God that foresight had but remembered me to take my cloak along. I could weep to think of it. Then, though it had poured seven showers, we were neither of us a penny the worse. But beshrew me, he cried, clapping hand to his forehead, tomorrow will be a new day, and thousand thunders I know of a marchin de capotes, monsieur points, from whom I can have for a livre as snug a cloak of the French fashion as ever kept a lady from wedding. Tut, tut, cries La Ficonde Tour, tripping in, my friend Monsieur Moore, that most accomplished traveller. I have just cracked a half-bottle Evêque Louis in a circle of the best wits of the town. Is my authority that in Cape Horn, Ventrebiche, they have a rain that will wet through any, even the stoutest cloak. A drenching of that violence, he tells me, sans blague, has sent more than one luckless fellow in good, earnest post-haste to another world. Pooh! A livre, cries Monsieur Lynch. The clumsy things are dear at a sou. One umbrella, were it no bigger than a fairy mushroom, is worth ten such stop-gaps. No woman of any wit would wear one. My dear Kitty told me to-day that she would dance in a deluge before ever she would starve in such an ark of salvation, for, as she reminded me, blushing piquantly and whispering in my ear, though there was none to snap her words but giddy butterflies, Dame Nature, by the divine blessing, has implanted it in our hearts, and it has become a household word that il y a du chose, for which the innocence of our original garb, in other circumstances a breach of the proprieties, is the fittest, nay, the only garment. The first, said she, and here my pretty philosopher, as I handed her to the Tilbury to fix my attention, gently tipped with her tongue the outer chamber of my ear, the first is a bath. But at this point, a bell tinkling in the hall cut short a discourse which promised so bravely for the enrichment of our store of knowledge. Amid the general vacant hilarity of the assembly, a bell rang, and, while all were conjecturing what might be the cause, Miss Callan entered, and, having spoken a few words in a low tone to young Mr. Dixon, retired with a profound bow to the company. The presence even for a moment among a party of debauchees of a woman endued with every quality of modesty and not less severe than beautiful refrained the humorous sallies even of the most licentious, but her departure was the signal for an outbreak of ribaldry. "'Strike me silly,' said Costello, a low fellow who was fuddled, a monstrous fine bit of cow-flesh. I'll be sworn she has rendezvoused you. What, you dog? Have you a way with them? Gad's bud, immensely so,' said Mr. Lynch." The bedside manner it is that they use in the Mater Hospice. Demi, does not Dr. O'Gargle chuck the nuns there under the chin? As I looked to be saved, I had it from my kitty who has been ward-made there any time these seven months. Locks a mercy, doctor, cried the young blood in the primrose vest, feigning a womanish simper and with immodest squirmings of his body. How you do tease a body! 
Drat the man! Bless me, I am all of a wibbly-wobbly. Why, you're as bad as dear little father can't he kiss him. That you are. May this pot of four half choke me, cried Costello, if she ain't in the family way. I knows a lady what's got a white swelling quick as I claps eyes on her. The young surgeon, however, rose and begged the company to excuse his retreat, as the nurse had just then informed him that he was needed in the ward. Merciful Providence had been pleased to put a period to the sufferings of the lady who was enceinte, which she had borne with a laudable fortitude, and she had given birth to a bouncing boy. I want patience, said he, with those who, without wit to enliven or learning to instruct, revile an ennobling profession, which, saving the reverence due to the deity, is the greatest power for happiness upon the earth. I am positive when I say that if need were I could produce a cloud of witnesses to the excellence of her noble exercitations, which, so far from being a byword, should be a glorious incentive in the human breast. I cannot away with them. What? Malign such an one, the amiable Miss Callan, who is the luster of her own sex and the astonishment of ours, and at an instant the most momentous that can befall a puny child of clay, perish the thought. I shudder to think of the future of a race where the seeds of such malice have been sown, and where no right reverence is rendered to mother and maid in house of horn. Having delivered himself of this rebuke, he saluted those present on the by and repaired to the door. A murmur of approval arose from all, and some were for ejecting the low soaker without more ado, a design which would have been effected, nor would he have received more than his bare deserts, had he not abridged his transgression by affirming with a horrid imprecation, for he swore a round hand, that he was as good a son of the true fold as ever drew breath. Stap my vitals, said he, them was always the sentiments of honest Frank Costello, which I was bred up most particular to honor thy father and thy mother, that had the best hand to a roly-poly or a hasty pudding, as you ever see what I always looks back on with a loving heart. End of section 35. Recording by Richard Wallace, Liberty, Missouri, October 21st, 2010.